There are two sets left um, of reverted Sefer Nitzotos, which it goes through um, all five of the Sifrei Torah, uh, you know, starting off by Yikra, so definitely a good opportunity to, to, to get into it now. So there are copies, um, there, there are sets available for sale um, right after this year. Without further ado, Roberta. Okay. Thank you again. It's good to be back in Stern. There are two halachas in this week's parsha that don't necessarily appear to be relevant to us, but as we'll soon see, are quite relevant. Pasuk says, Kol amincha asher takrivu lo Hashem lo seyasa chametz ki kol soor v'chol devash lo satiru mimenu isha lo Hashem. Halacha is, any carbon mincha that we bring to HaKadosh Baruch who should not have any yeast in it, Nothing in the Beis HaMikdash is allowed to become chametz, except, as we'll see later, the Shteya on Shavuos. As well, the halacha is that it's not allowed to have any honey. So no honey, no yeast on the carbon mincha. The Rambam explains that it was the minig by the Bali Avaida Zara to make bread, to put honey on their karbanos. And the Torah tells us specifically not to do it that way, so that our karbanos will be fundamentally different than the karbanos of the Bali Avaida Zara. Rambam and Marnavuch. Very beautiful Rambam. The Shaila is what does it mean for us? What does it mean that the Baliyavay Dezara, it's a strange type of thing when you think about it. The Baliyavay Dezara do something, so therefore we're not allowed to do that thing. Clearly there's some inner message, something that the Baliyavay Dezara did when it came to having honey and yeast in their carbon mincha, that we specifically don't believe in that thing. That's our first question for tonight. Pasuk Tupsukim later tells us something that we all know because we do it every Shabbos. The Chol Karbon Minchascha Bamelech Timlach. Every single carbon in the Beis Hamikdash had salt. Loitash Bis Melech Brisalekecha Me'al Minchasecha Al Kar Kambacha Takrev Melech. Every single carbon mincha, every single carbon that you bring, the Pasuk here refers to some Melech Brisalekecha. There's some sort of covenant of salt with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Every single carbon has to have salt. Why? So listen to the words of Rashi. Very esoteric Rashi. Rashi says, Shabris krusala melech, there was a covenant, there was a bris that was made with salt. This covenant was made all the way back in the beginning of time. The lower waters were promised by HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that they too would be drawn close to Hashem. When Hashem split the waters between the Mayim Elyonim and the Mayim Tachtonim, so the Mayim Tachtonim had a taina on HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Why are the Mayim Elyonim close to you? Why are the upper waters close to you? And we're down here. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, don't worry. 
you will be drawn close to me. I make you a, a covenant, a bris, that you two will be drawn close. And it will, it will occur through the carbonos that we bring by extracting the salt from the water and using them on all of our carbonos. So in some way, the mayim tachtoinim are now elevated and brought close to HaKadosh Baruch This is the source for the halacha that we're supposed to dip our salt in bread. Dip our bread in salt is the appropriate way of saying that. I landed yesterday and I'm leaving in an hour. Back to Eretz Yisrael. All things are forgiven. It's a funny thing because the minute developed for us to dip our bread in salt on Shabbos. But really the halacha is that you're supposed to do that anytime you have bread. Most of us are not knowing that way. I'm just imagining tomorrow in Stern all the girls like dipping their bread. <laughs> we all became very from. You see girls on dates with these guys. And he gets bread and he doesn't dip it in salt and the girls are like, he's clearly not a tamachach. <laughs> It just ended like 90%. We created a whole new Shidduch crisis. You know? <laughs> it's really not a halacha on Shabbos. It's really a halacha. It's, it's in Hilchas B'tziah Sapas. It's a halacha that you're supposed, to, you're supposed to dip your bread in salt all the time. Okay, the minute developed to do it on Shabbos. It's brought down in Shochan Aruch. Ideally, you're supposed to dip it in salt. Sometimes you see, if there's no salt on the table, you ever see yeshivish people dipping it in like dips. Hashem, that minig hasn't developed yet in Klal Yisrael. You have like the fanciest salt dips that ever existed. People will spend tens of thousands of dollars on charcuterie board dips. The newest thing that you'll see coming out of the five towns. I'm in a bad mood because I saw there, there was a $2,500 King Achashverosh charcuterie board shalachmanos that was for sale. $2,500. Esther Amalka got one, but it was only $1,800. <laughs> Which was deeply sexist and also very inappropriate. Why does Esther Amalka get the smaller one? She's the heroine of the story. Achashverosh is the Rasha. Okay, maybe they had some sort of cheshben that Melech and the Megillah refers to HaKadosh Baruch so that's why he got the $2,500 bazayan. Where was I? Oh, yeah. Shulchan Aruch says that we're supposed to dip our challah ideally in salt. And let's say, let's say your challah recipe... I don't know much about challah recipes... One time a girl told me that she was making challah for a boy that she was dating and she made it by hand because that's better than in the machine. Is that true? Yeah? I don't know any of these things. I'm not holding. But it, does, your, does your challah recipe have salt in it? Yeah? 90%? So what's the halacha if your recipe has salt in it? Do you need to dip it in the salt? So Shulchan Aruch says no. Shulchan Aruch says that if the salt is already in the recipe then you don't need to dip it in the salt. But the Ramah disagrees. And the Ramah says it's a mitzvah. He doesn't say a minute. The Ramah calls it a mitzvah. It's a mitzvah at the very least to have salt on your table. Ideally, by the way, the salt should be out the entire time, even before Kiddush. And the Ramah says that even if there's salt in the recipe, still the ideal thing is to dip our challah in salt because our tables are like a mizbeach. And this is like the karbonos. We do this every single Shabbos. The Agosha Shri brings down that somebody... Somebody who is makbid to dip their bread in salt 
It's a magain, it's a shmira, it protects them from any misfortunes that will come their way. And so again, we have the obvious question, what is this emphasis on salt? Every single carbon needs to have salt. That it's some sort of magain, some sort of protection for Klal Yisrael. We're supposed to do it all the time. What does it mean that the Mayim HaTachtoinim felt closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu because they had salt? What do any of these things mean? I want to share with you an idea tonight. It's an idea that, that's very close to my heart because it's something that I, I think the entire world is suffering from today, including myself. which is a, a mayim tachtoinim type of existence. So many of us feel, Baruch Hashem, we're getting better at expressing it, and there's a greater level of vulnerability that exists today, that people can talk about these things. 30, 40 years ago, a person wasn't allowed to talk about these things. But many of us feel like the mayim tachtoinim. Many of us feel distant from HaKadosh Baruch Hu in our lives. Maybe perhaps when we were in Eretz Yisrael, Maybe when we were in seminary, maybe when we had nothing else in our life and we were able just to focus on HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Maybe the moves that we were making at that time in our lives, they brought a sense of satisfaction, a sense of meaning, a sense of connection. But after a person leaves the bubble of seminary, after a person comes back from Eretz Yisrael, from Yishalayim, Yerach Kodesh, and they come back, so there's a sense of distance, there's a sense of loss, there's a void, a sense of, there was a time in my life when I was a Mayim El Yonim Jew, and now I feel like a Mayim Tachtonim. I feel split as a part of me, perhaps, that yearns for a deep connection with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And there's a part of me that perhaps maybe doesn't even yearn. Maybe I've, maybe I've lost the sense of a feeling that I once had. And I'm sure I'm not speaking to any one of you. I'm speaking in a general sense. And it could be that there are times in your life where you do feel that way. And maybe even many times where you feel deeply connected. But I imagine that there are some times that people in this room feel mayim tachtona. Feel perhaps that the words of davening no longer speak to you. And it's hard to... It's hard to speak to HaKadosh Baruch Hu when there's so many other things going on in your life and there's so much pain. In the last 48 hours, I had the opportunity to speak to many people, but two in specific are relevant for this part. One young man who's, who's a good Jew, and he's a good person. We were talking about his journey in Yiddishkeit and what he's up to. And he, he can't bring himself to Davin anymore. He's still a good person. He's, he's, he's a good Jew. He'll do good things in his life. He'll be a part of the community. He'll raise his children to be passionate Jews. But for him, the sitter no longer speaks to him. It never really did. He never really connected to it. And it feels fake and disingenuous for him to open up the words of the sitter and, and to say the same things over and over again. And honestly, I don't blame him. How many of us feel the same way? How many of us feel like to sit there and repeat the same words and, and every day to say, it's a very difficult thing to do. Another person that I spoke with is in terrible pain, and rightfully so. He's a person who's encountered in his life in the last couple of months unparalleled levels of misfortune. 
is a person who has encountered the chaos of life in its most intense form. And he's angry. He's angry at the Rabbani Shalom, and, and rightfully so. There's nothing wrong with being angry. That's also a form of prayer. And he feels, he feels very distant from Hashem. And I spent about 45 minutes with him yesterday, just listening to him. And not one thing he said there was, there was no, there was no answer, there was no response that, that anybody could give. When faced with the tragedies that he's had to confront in his life, he feels so distant from HaKadosh Baruch Hu right now. And who could blame him? Certainly not I. This Mayim Tachtoinim experience is something I think that's ubiquitous. I think it's something that everybody is experiencing at various points in their life, some more, some less. A girl who's been in Shoduchim for years, who's barely getting a date, or who's had her heart broken. At some point, there's a, a feeling of frustration with the system, there's a feeling of frustration with Klal Yisrael, there's a feeling of frustration with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. There's a Mayim Tachtoinim experience. There were Mayim Alyonim times in our life when I felt close, and there's Mayim Tachtoinim, a yearning to be close, a yearning to recapture, to regain what we once had, but a feeling also of profound distance. It's important for us to understand what the depth of Mayim Tachtoinim is. The Balatanya explains, and I hope every one of you have had the opportunity to learn at least some of Tanya in your lives. The Balatanya gives the fundamental insight into the nature of how a human being works. I imagine many of you are familiar with this terminology, but I'll spell it out for those of you that are not. We have not one but two souls. In our lives growing up, we heard this thing, Yetzahara, Yetzertov. The Balatanya has a revolution where he says, forget Yetzahara, forget Yetzertov, let's go more primary, let's go more essential. There's something called a Nefesh Elokis and something called a Nefesh Bahamas. A Nefesh Elokis is a godly soul. Every one of us is endowed with a unique godly soul. A Chelek Elokami Mal Mamish, the Alter Rebbe describes it as. It can be compared to a ray of the sun. The godly soul is a ray of the sun from HaKadosh Baruch Hu himself. The relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu is unbreakable. The godly soul has a Mayim El Yoinim experience. The godly soul never feels distant from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It's godly in its nature. But then there's something else. There's something called a Nefesh Bahamas, an animal soul. The animal soul is not bad. The animal soul is not evil. But the animal soul feels distant from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and I'll explain to you why. The animal soul is what gives our body life. It's what animates us. And the animal soul is very aware of its own mortality. The animal soul is on a path towards death. The moment you are born, you start to die. And because the animal soul is aware of its own mortality, the animal soul lives in a perpetual state of fear. The animal soul needs to do things to sustain itself. And so the animal soul will participate, not because it's bad, but like a puppy, like a little dog just trying to do whatever it can to survive. The animal soul will do deeply inappropriate things in order to have a sense of life. 
perhaps the animal soul as a teenager, today even as an adult, will engage with substances that are designed to blunt our emotions, drugs, alcohol, food, inappropriate relationships. The animal soul will do whatever it can to feel alive because it's deeply aware of its own mortality. It's deeply aware, and these are the key words, of the void that exists between it and the Rabbani Shalom. When the Rabbani Shalom creates the world, he created the first Chilo Hashem. What does the word Chilo Hashem mean? When I, was, uh, when I was growing up, I grew up in the five towns. There was a camp in the five towns called Simcha Day Camp. Anyone here ever heard of Simcha Day Camp? I grew up my whole life in Simcha Day Camp. When you're a little boy growing up in the 80s in Simcha Day Camp, so they always give you the same speech every single summer. Right before you go to Shea Stadium, you know they have like, uh, like that one o'clock in the afternoon game that only the Jewish camps go to, and like nobody else is in the entire stadium, but the entire upper deck is filled with Jewish kids because the tickets are like $5 a piece. So they give all the kids in camp the same speech. Don't make a Chil Hashem. And I remember being like eight years old, and I had no idea what a Chil Hashem was, but I knew it's what happens in Shea Stadium. So as a little boy growing up, whenever I saw Shea Stadium, I was like, that's where Chil Hashem's happen. You have to be very, you have to be very careful in Shea Stadium. All of a shalom, now it's City Field. The greatest Chil Hashem that ever occurred was creation itself. Chil Hashem means a halal, a space. A space where Hashem is not. That's what creation is. A space where Hashem's presence is not felt. The godly soul is always attuned to HaKadosh Baruch Hu's presence. But the Nefesh Abahamis is a creation. And because the Nefesh Abahamis is a creation, the Nefesh Abahamis is profoundly aware of the void that exists, the lack of godliness in its life. And the Nefesh Abahamis will do whatever it can to fill that void. I once heard a great line. People have trouble with addiction because they think that addiction is a problem. Addiction is a solution. And that's why it's so hard to get rid of. Addiction is a solution to the spiritual void that every one of us feels in our lives. Naturally, a human being is somewhere on the spectrum of abuse to addiction. We all do things in our lives to cover up the lack of godliness that we feel. Lashon Hara is an amazing example. I've never been able to understand why it feels so good to speak disparagingly about another. I, I just want to be clear. When I say I've never been able to understand, I don't mean like I don't do it. Like I, I do it and I get it. You know what I'm saying? Like I understand it. I just can't articulate why it feels so good. Like why is it so good when we sit around and talk about somebody else in a negative way? Why does that make us feel powerful? Why does that make us feel better? I've never been able to articulate. What is it? It goes against every one of my values, but have I spoken Lashon Hara? Absolutely, of course I have. I'm not proud of it, but it's a metzias, it's a reality. Why does it make us feel so good? I have no idea. But I know that when I'm doing it, it's coming from that void. I don't know why it, why it feels good to push somebody else down and stand on their shoulders and call myself tall. I have no idea why it feels good, but I know that it's filling that void. And we all do things to fill that void. How many relationships are born? I know I'm about to cause some trauma. How many relationships are born from this desperation that people have to fill the void in our lives? That if only I'll be able to get married, 
then everything will be okay. And how much fear is in the system that tells us that? It's a whole different story. The answer is a tremendous amount of fear. And that fear, it leads to crazy things. A girl shows up to a shidduch because, because for so many years she's grown up hearing that if she's not absolutely perfect then she's never going to get a shidduch. And if she turns 20 and she's not already married with three kids, so then what's going to be with her entire life? And so by the time she's 21, she's, she's absolutely desperate. And, and even if she's in a relationship where she knows that it's filling that void, that it's coming from a place of fear, but like maybe I'm just talking myself out of it and I don't know if I should settle. I get these phone calls all the time. Rahman These poor girls. These poor girls. Where's the sense of self? But there's this void. There's this void. And people are, for the sake of selling newspapers and, and clicks on, on websites and and Allah and and to have people doing these research and the studying, all of these things are, are are killing the community. We're we're exacerbating the void. Rather than teaching people to stand on their own two feet and having a sense of self. Rather than telling girls that the Rabbanish Islam is Mashadik Shuduchim and nobody else, and there's no Shadchan in the world that's in charge of you. There's no Shadchan in the world that's in charge of you, and you don't have to listen to them. But if I don't listen to them, then they're never going to set me up again and they t- I understand, crazy people. They're crazy people. But they're speaking to the fear. And, it, and, and there's a ton of fear in the system because that void is real. Because we do feel a void of godliness in our life. Because we do have a lack of emuna, Not because we're bad, chas v'shalom, But because we're human. This is what the Nefesh Bahamas experience is like. All the things that we do that are solutions, they're so hard to let go of because they're solutions. It's so hard for a teenager. Let's take a teenager. Let's take a teenager who's messing around with weed. Why is he messing around with weed? Why is she messing around with weed? It's not recreational, and it's not just because she wants to fit in, and it's not just because of a social circle thing. It's because there's a void. There's a lack of something that's happening in her life, in his life, and it's really hard for them to stop because it's a great solution. It's a numbing of my feelings. Why would I ever want to feel these terrible feelings? And so people yell, and they scream, and they threaten. What do you want from this kid? He's 16 years old. What do you want? He's 16 years old. I know a young man, today Baruch Hashem, he's married with children, he's put his life back together. I know a young man who OD'd several times. Baruch Hashem, he's alive to tell the story, it's a crazy mice. Without getting into too much details, it's a person who, in a very, very quick way, he fell into the world of drugs and alcohol. He was in a tremendous amount of pain. Years later, I spoke to him and he said to me something very profound. He said, you know who I have a taina on? I have a taina on the guy that gave me my first sip of alcohol by a Shabbos Kiddush when I was 15 years old. Because he thought it was cool to give the 15-year-old a little bit of scotch and make a lechayim on Shabbos. He thought it was cool. But he didn't know how much pain I was in. I don't blame him for not knowing. But he gave me that solution. And the first time I took that drink, I was like, oh, so that's what it feels like not to feel the insane pain that I feel all the time. So in a very short amount of time, one shot became two, two became four, four became 20, breaking into a shul early in the morning, three, four o'clock in the morning, breaking into the shul, breaking open the liquor cabinet, people coming to shul Vasik and seeing him pass out on the floor, having to call out Salah and rushing him to the hospital to have his stomach pumped. 
because he was in a tremendous amount of pain and somebody handed him a terrible solution. It's not the time or place to have this conversation. But there's a conversation that needs to happen in the Jewish community. It has to happen soon. It has to happen fast. It has to happen loudly. How many children, 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 are being introduced to things that will destroy their lives on Purim? For most people, it's okay. For most people, they're not experiencing that level of pain. And so they'll have it and it'll be a phase and it'll be cute, even though there's nothing cute about it and there's nothing Purim dick about it. But for some people, we're handing these children weapons to destroy themselves. The Nefesh Abahamis inside of them feels that void tremendously. For some people in this room, the void of spirituality in their life is crippling. It's crippling. And for others, it's like, okay, but say there, I do these things, I have a shtickle abuse of these things in my life. But for other people, there's real addiction going on. I see it in the yeshivas for sure. When does a person get help? When does a person change their lives? You know, when you speak to an addict and they finally enter into a 12-step program and they go to rehab and they start to change their lives, it's not the godly soul that changes their lives. The godly soul always knew that the right thing to do was to leave this behavior. If you ask the godly soul, while they're in the midst of doing this inappropriate thing, do you want this? You know what the godly soul would say? I'm not here, I'm not present in this moment. It has nothing to do with my life. A person doesn't change until the animal soul gets tired of the spiritual void. A person changes only when the animal soul says, I can't take it anymore. This is not a life. I'm not interested in such a life. That's the only time when an animal soul will change. When it hits rock bottom. Rock bottom is a beautiful place to build a foundation. But Lamaisa, a person needs to hit rock bottom. And we get to choose where our rock bottom is. But a person has to choose. This is my rock bottom. I'm finished. I was talking to a person several hours ago. And they're not doing as well as they can be in life. And things are not going well. And I said, are you ready to put your life together? And I saw they're still hemming and hawing. They're not ready to put their life together. And so it's not going to happen. Rebbe, tell me what I need to do. I said, I can't tell you what you need to do. It's not for me to tell you what you need to do. You need to make a decision that you're done with this type of life. When you make that decision, you'll be done. The animal soul craves godliness even more than the godly soul craves godliness. That's why Mashiach is described as Ani v'reichiv al-achamar. Mashiach is impoverished, but he's riding, he's growing from the physicality of the world. The animal soul has more godliness than the godly soul. Because the godly soul, its godliness is transparent. The animal soul also has godliness. But the godliness is hidden with inside the physical. I'm going to share with you something, and this is a very strong thing to say. Please, please take it in the spirit in which it's meant to be said. Life requires sacrifice. Every single thing you do requires massive amounts of sacrifice. To be a mother, to be a father, to be a sibling, to be a child, to be a member of your community, to hold down a job, every single thing you do requires sacrifice. Sacrifice in Yiddishkeit is called a carbon. It means to draw close. And there are different levels of sacrifices. 
There are people that sacrifice to things beneath themselves, and there are people that sacrifice to things below themselves. I'm sorry, above themselves. I'll explain the difference. Say, a, a woman that I know, the word that comes to mind when I think of her is, um, she's, she's not strong, she's fierce. Do you know, you know what I'm talking about? You've, you've met these people before? Yeah? She's a... Uh, I don't like getting into, into debates with her. She's, um, she's not just opinionated. She's got claws. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just... Uh, it's not pleasant. Somebody made a comment, and it's 100% true. She'd kill for her children. It's true. Baruch Hashem, I've never had her children in any of my shiurim, and I don't imagine that the conversation would be pleasant if I had to call her and say things didn't go so well. It's a beautiful thing to be a mother who's willing to do anything for her children. It requires a massive amount of sacrifice. But is that a sacrifice to something beneath you or something above you? To be a mother is to sacrifice yourself at the altar of your children. That's a tremendous thing to be a part of, to be a part of a family. What we ask Jewish women today to do is insane. To hold down a job, to bring in parnasa, to be able to make our homes a place of warmth and light and love to do it all with a smile on our face as we're also taking care of all the physical things. And then when our husband walks in the door to be able to go, and how was your day, and to lift them up. It's a very difficult thing to do. It requires a massive amount of sacrifice. And of course it goes without saying that self-care is huge and important and fundamental and essential, and it's not possible to do any of the myriad of things that we ask you to do without a tremendous amount of self-care. And... At the end of the day, no matter how much self-care you give yourself, the reality is that you're going to want to do something and you're not going to be able to because your child is sick or because at the end of the day, somebody has to put dinner on the table. At the end of the day, you want to spend that time with your family. You know, I, I married off a daughter five weeks ago. Thank you. And um, when I say I married her off, I mean my wife made a wedding and I showed up. I don't mean like... <laughs> And I was very jealous. I was very jealous of my wife. Because I'm running around giving shiurim and I don't have the same time that my wife had at home. And when I do come home at the end of the day, usually it's, it's very often that I have 14, 15 hour days. I'm coming home, I'm tired, I'm exhausted. My oldest daughter had a spot on my wife's bed. She had a spot for many, many years, a spot where she would sit and she would pontificate about the world and she would try to figure everything out and she would talk to my wife and my wife is a very patient woman and she would sit and listen and my wife is also a trained psychologist and so even though she's not practicing she would employ uh, psychological techniques that I would see and my daughter would say something and my wife would go it seems like this is what you're feeling and she would go yeah and then you know, she would go off and it's like and I'd be sitting in bed trying to fall asleep and rolling my eyes. <laughs> it's like one o'clock in the morning, can we figure out all of life's mysteries, maybe tomorrow? <laughs> but then it came time for the chasna. And I said to my wife, I'm jealous. I'm jealous of the hundreds, perhaps thousands of hours of conversations that you had with Bracha that I didn't get to have. 
It required a tremendous amount of sacrifice. A sacrifice that I didn't make. I went to sleep because I had a busy day the next day. Different sacrifices for me. But my wife sacrificed to our daughter, and as a result, their relationship is beautiful and exquisite and gorgeous because she sacrificed herself on the altar of something larger than herself. She gave herself over to her children. It's a tremendous thing to do. Of course, many of us will sacrifice ourselves to things that are lower than ourselves. We'll sacrifice ourselves to materialism. That's a common thing that happens in the Jewish community today. Who can keep up with the Schwartzes? And who can have the nicer car? And who can have the nicest house? And even our yeshivas and Beis Yaakovs are suffering from this. Which yeshiva will be able to knock down their building and build the newest, most gigantic yeshiva that ever existed in the history of the world? And of course, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing that Mekaymas of Torah should be beautiful. But at some point, we have to ask ourselves, is this for Hashem or is this for our own guy? Uh, the Talmud who comes from a family where they're Zaycha to be big balei tzedaka. And there was a beautiful shul in the neighborhood and the rub of the shul came to the father and he said to the father, we have to tear down the shul and build a new one. And it was like a $17 million project. And this Talmud who's a, uh, he has an azaz to kedusha, he has a holy chutzpah to him. So he looked at this rabbi and he goes, is this the best way for the community to spend their funds? $17 million so we can have another huge building? Would it not be more prudent to give that money to Rebbeim in the neighborhood that can barely afford to put food on their table? And he told me this with a great sense of pride, and I must admit, I was proud of him. I told him maybe it wasn't the nicest thing to say to the Rav in that moment, and maybe there was a nicer way to say it, but really, really, in my heart of hearts, good for you. <laughs> good for you. Allocation of resources is no small thing. How many people will spend 15, 16, 17-hour days trying to make just gross amounts of money at the expense of incredibly important things. You know, for me, growing up, I was Zaycha to a father who was Baruch Hashem successful. But it was also my Little League coach. And every Sunday, he would coach Little League in baseball season. And every Shabbos morning, when we would daven Hashkama Minyan in the young Israel Farakway, we would come home afterwards and my father taught us how to play chess, and he taught us how to play Stratego, and he taught us how to play different card games. And the time that I spent with my father, I know my father was exhausted, he had a long week. My father would travel, he was makbit to come home every night. If he went, if he went somewhere in the morning, he got up a la boker, he caught the early morning flight, and he came home 10 o'clock at night. I knew that he was makbit to do that, I knew that he didn't sleep over, because he wanted us to see him. But how many people unfortunately lose themselves? And they forget but the reason that they're making all this money to begin with is to support their family. They're serving something lower than themselves. And here's the catch. Whatever you sacrifice to is what you become. A woman who sacrifices herself to be a mother becomes a mother. A woman who sacrifices herself to become a wife, she becomes a wife. You get that distinction. You get that privilege. You get to say after 30, 40 years, this is what I did. This is what I did. I built a beautiful family. I supported someone, emotionally, physically, financially. And there are people that worship things lower than themselves. They worship vacations, they worship cars, they worship houses. These are not things to worship. These are not things to be dedicated to. These are things to have, of course. But these are not things to lose yourself to. Today it's so complicated because it used to be that a Rav would get up and he would give a schmooze and he would say, 
don't follow the kings. Follow the real king. Follow the Melech Malchai Amlachim. Today we don't have kings. Today the distinction between serving yourself and self-care is very, very small. It's very difficult for many people to define. Who am I really serving? If I take a break, if I take a break and I, and I, and I engage, I know for, um, for my wife, it's, uh, it's getting a salad. You know what I'm talking about? You know, like instead of like having no food and just grabbing whatever's there, there's an act of self-care. I'm, I'm, I'm familiar with this. I don't personally find any satisfaction in this type of food. But um, it's not a nice joke to laugh at. The, uh, but it's okay. I'm with you. I understand. Yeah? I don't eat the food that my food eats. But the... Thank you. I, get, I just got it also. Yeah? <laughs> But I, I know for my wife, there's such a thing as I got a salad and I had a nice meal and I feel good about it. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Like, and it's a specific salad. It's like, I know exactly what she likes in it. I can tell you the whole thing, what she likes, what she doesn't like. She's not into tomatoes. If I get a salad with tomatoes, that's not self-care. That's like, you're not paying attention. Hey, I'm holding, yeah? I know that there's moods. I know women have moods that men don't have. I know there's, there's a mood of tuna and there's a mood of bulgari cheese. I'm familiar with the various moods of... Salad moods. Women have moods that men don't have. I think today is a yogurt day. I've never felt like like a day has yogurt. No idea how I got here, by the way. But the, uh, oh, I remember. Yeah, it's something called self-care. But at what point is it self-care, and at what point is it indulgence? No. It's very hard to know. There are people that are walking around saying, yes, I'm involved in self-care. No, you're not. You're not involved in self-care. You're just no longer sacrificing to something that's larger than yourself. You've put yourself on the pedestal. It's a very, very subtle difference. It's complicated today because there are sick things that people have dedicated themselves to. There's a family growing up they lived a couple blocks away from me. The family's name was Stern. Lived in Farakway on the corner. Two blocks away from the young Israel Farakway. I grew up with the Stern family. I played Little League with these boys. Their youngest son became a Marine. He moved to Eretz Yisrael. You probably heard he was just shot. Bar Hashem, he survived. There are people out there that they're sacrificing their lives to this Palestinian Mishagas of... How many Yidin can we kill in the streets? And we give out candy. There's, there's a notion of sacrifice there. There is. There's a level of sacrifice. But they've sacrificed themselves to something so low. They sacrifice themselves to the destruction of other people. Not to their protection. They've sacrificed themselves on something that's a much lower level than themselves. And they're losing their humanity because of it. It's a terrible tragedy. That somebody could celebrate the death if there were Yidin that would do this, and there are, by the way. And, and, bar, and they need to be called out also. Bar Hashem, a very, very, very few minority. But we would never, ever, ever celebrate, ever celebrate the death of an innocent person. Every death is a tragedy. Every person is created B'Tselem Elohim. And if we have to, to protect ourselves, of course, Bar Hashem, we're, have, we're, we're zaycha to have a moral army. But if Chas V'Shalom, there's a tragedy that occurs and an innocent person is killed, of course we mourn the death of that person. Of course we do. 
We would never give out candy in the streets because to do so is to sacrifice yourself to something that is much lower than you. Moshe Rabbeinu tells Paro, we need to leave because there's a Chag Hashem. There's a Yantuf coming up. We need to all go to the Midbar. If you're Moshe Rabbeinu and you have the opportunity to tell Paro, let my people go, what would you have expected the Torah to say? We would have expected the Torah to say something like, Moshe Rabbeinu comes to Paro and he says, people have dignity. Stop murdering Jewish children. That's what we would have expected. Some sort of Chazak speech from Moshe Rabbeinu. Instead he lies and he says, Chag Lashem, we have a, a Yantav coming up. We need to go to the Midbar. What in the world is Moshe Rabbeinu talking about? But the answer is obvious. Moshe Rabbeinu is telling Paro, we cannot be your slaves because we already have a prior commitment, a prior slavery. There's something that we're already drawing close to, something that we've already decided and that we're dedicating our lives to this. It's called the Rabbeinu Shalom. Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't lying. He was teaching Paro the reason why people can't be enslaved. How can I take ownership over another human being when that human being is already dedicated to something that's much larger than themselves? So with this in mind, we can start to understand a little bit about these halachas of karbanos. The Rambam says that the idolaters of the world, how did they bring a carbon mincha? They put it on in honey, and they put it on yeast, and they made it explode. Honey and yeast are external flavors. Yeast is something that makes bread look like more than it is. Without yeast, our bread is flat. It's like matzah. Even if it's the, the temani matzah that can still be rolled up, you know, like the pitas that they have. They look delicious. I don't know why any of us are Ashkenazim. <laughs> I understand, probably because of slichos and elo. But outside of that, it's 100% worth it. Sushi on Pesach. Sushi is a Jewish food come out at this point. Sushi on Pesach, a lafa, it looks delicious. But there's a little, bit of a, a little bit of an inflated sense of self there. It's not authentic. It's not raw. It's not unadulterated. It has this external delicious flavor. That's an idolatrous mentality. It's not something that can enter into the Beis HaMikdash. Outside of Shavuos, outside of Shavuos, when we've reached such a level, the level of Matan Torah, the 50th level, where at that point, a person can introduce something that's quote-unquote foreign and integrate it into our Yiddishkeit. Outside of that, the Beis HaMikdash never has leavened bread. The Karbonos have no honey on them. Because we don't need external things to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu. What we need is the salt that brings out the flavor of the internal. It's the salt not in the godly soul. It's the salt on the animal carbon. It's the salt on the animal carbon that brings out the truth of the animal. What's the truth of the animal soul? The truth of the animal soul is that it desires to come close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu more than the godly soul. Then an animal soul is miserable as long as it's disconnected from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That void, that void that we were speaking about, that void is also not only the source of the problem, that void is also ultimately the point where connection with HaKadosh Baruch Hu occurs. Because right now, as, as many of us are feeling that Mayim Tachtainim experience, that yearning to be elevated like the Mayim El Yainim, it's that yearning, that feeling of distance that will ultimately lead to the drawing of close. It requires salt, not honey. You don't need anything else other than that yearning. Feed that yearning. That's where, that's where the connection comes from. 
Don't be afraid of the feelings of distance that you have from the Abishter. Don't be afraid of those feelings. That feeling of distance, hold on to that. Because what is that feeling of distance? If you unpack it deeply, if you would pour salt, if you would get the inner essence out, that feeling of distance ultimately is what? I want to draw close. Our relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not asking us to be something that we're not. It's asking us to be something that we already are. So I'll finish with this. A young man came to my house on Purim. A married man. Married with children. Learning, Baruch Hashem, a tremendous servant of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And he, he, she shared with me, in, I wouldn't call it a drunken state, but certainly an inebriated state. He shared with me the feelings of distance that he was having from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and I gave him some sort of answer, which was also an inebriated answer. And I said, are you serving yourself, or are you serving HaKadosh Baruch Hu? Is this about your own enjoyment, or are you actually giving yourself up to Hashem? And he responded in his inebriated state, he said, yes, but at the end of the day, there is an I. And that I right now is feeling no satisfaction. And you're right, Moda needs to come before Ani. But there has to be an Ani there, there has to be an I. And I, the I part of me, is feeling very distant from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And I didn't give him a good answer. So I'd like now to give him his answer. If he's ever going to listen to this recording, I have no idea. But this is the answer that I want to give him. That yearning that he has to draw close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the lack of satisfaction that he has... That's not the problem. That's the solution. That's the cure. And we need to give him permission to feel those feelings of dissatisfaction in his Yiddishkeit. He needs to have permission to feel distant from his learning, to feel distant from his davening. He needs to have permission to be able to say to himself, it's not going the way I want it to go. Bez Hashem, that'll be the birthplace of, a, of some sort of path to rediscovering that relationship that he has with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. As we enter into the Yom Tov of Pesach, we're getting rid of all of the yeast in our homes. All the Soar Shabi'is, no more Chametz. Pesach is the Yom Tov of authenticity. To be able to show up raw and unadulterated to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And to know that we are okay. We don't need any external flavors we don't need anything to inflate ourselves beyond what we are. We are okay. We are beautiful just as we are. And Be'ez Hashem, this Pesach, we can experience the redemption of coming to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and saying, Hineni. This is me. In all my glory and all my imperfection. To accept ourselves. And to come to HaKadosh Baruch Hu in an honest way and to say, this is my matzah. Nothing wrong with being matzah. Adurab. That's what we serve in the Beis HaMikdash. Okay, girls.